Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church Podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rcc.church. Good morning. Um, really glad that you are here for uh, what is the third in a series of messages that we have been doing around uh, the topic of worry and anxiety. And all three weeks and next week, the last week, are really anchored in the passage that Madison just read for us. But today is kind of um, a key turning point in the conversation because up until this point, we have largely used the words uh, worry and anxiety almost interchangeably, almost synonymously. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, Number one, that's just how most of us use the words. And in all honesty, we tend to experience them as sort of these inseparable phenomenon. Uh, But also, if you would like to bring uh, the Bible into the conversation, that whenever you're reading in your New Testament, um, almost regardless of what translation, when you run into either the word worry or the word anxiety, it's almost always, there's a couple of exceptions, but it's almost always a translation of the word merimanao in the Greek. So in the Greek language that the writers of the New Testament are using, they would just use merimanao um, over and over again to talk about this experience of worry, anxiety. Um, sometimes they would even translate that word uh, fear, right? So if you were just look at the biblical text, there's a reason to link these two things together. And obviously they are very close related, but if you were to ask um, any psychologist or, frankly, anybody that's taken a couple of psychology courses, they would actually be very quick to differentiate between worry and anxiety and say, no, they're actually fundamentally different experiences, and there's a lot of debate about what exactly separates one from another, and kind of everybody has their own list, but kind of the gist of it, the central idea is that anxiety is something that we experience in our bodies, but worry is something that we experience in our minds, right? And that might be part of the reason that we just have this sense that anxiety is um, sometimes more intense than worry. It's why we feel like anxiety sometimes has a tendency to linger, whereas worry might come and go a little bit um, more quickly. It's why we might have this sense that anxiety can just be like harder to shake off. You're like in that moment where you're like, I'm anxious and I just don't kind of know how to get out of it where it feels like maybe worry is a little bit less so. And everybody has their own experience um, with that, and we're not necessarily trying to parse this distinction um, for the purpose of making us overly introspective. But if we are able to put for today some space between the physical sensation, the physical emotion of anxiety, and the mental experience of worry, we're really going to be able to understand one of the central things that Jesus is trying to say in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So here's kind of an idea I want you to hold on to. Um, I'll give it to you, then I'll illustrate it and try to explain it. Um, Worry is what we choose to do with our anxiety right? If you just look, quick definition, you're taking notes. Worry is what we choose to do with our anxiety. So here's the best way to explain it. Um, If you were to go home this afternoon and check your phone and get an email from your boss 
um, reminding you that, hey, you may or may not have known this, but the senior leadership team of our organization or our board of directors or kind of like whoever's in charge, you know, that group is meeting this week, and I have decided that you should give them a presentation on a certain topic on Wednesday morning. Almost all of us, if you got that email announcing that you were about to give a presentation to the senior leadership team of your organization, you would feel anxiety, right? Because, number one, public speaking, and who in their right mind likes that and would choose to do that for a living? So most of us are already out, because you're like, look, I don't like so much the idea of talking in front of people. Um, Second of all, you understand that this newfound presentation on Wednesday morning is going to totally destroy the schedule that you had planned for the week, and there's also this sense of, like, obviously the stakes are pretty high. I'm talking to the group that leads our organization, and I don't want to let the team down, right? You're going to experience anxiety. That's fine. That's even normal. That's going to help you prepare. That's going to help you get ready. That's going to help you do a good job, right? But if we don't know how to respond to that anxiety, that anxiety will quickly become what we might call worry, right? Worry feels more like you laying awake at night, convincing yourself that the entire presentation on Wednesday morning is going to be an epic disaster. And worry is you laying in bed, summoning all the evidence that you have for the conclusion that Wednesday is going to be an epic disaster. Worry is absolutely happy to remind you of that time way back when, when you had to give a presentation in the third grade, and it went so poorly that you burst out into tears in front of the entire classroom, and you still remember your teacher coming up to hug you, somehow sheltering you, but you feeling insanely small and terrified in that moment, and you can feel that again at 28 years old, being like, "Uh uh-uh, I did this in the third grade and I vowed I was never gonna talk to people again, right? And worry can jump in and be like, but it wasn't just the third grade, it was also the best man speech. And you're like, oh, I so regret the best man speech. That was a disaster. And I was so awkward at the offsite last year. And worry has you convinced that the only reason the boss would ask you to give that kind of presentation is that she's fully intending to humiliate you in front of the senior leadership of your organization so that she has grounds to fire you, which makes you think about some of the spending choices you've made over the last couple of months and regret some of the things you purchased and regret the relatively small number that's still left in your checking account and start to do the math on minimum payments and rent and how much they're going to owe you to buy out your vacation and leaves yourself convinced by about 2 a.m. that you're going to be homeless in two and a half months and you've done the math so you feel solid about that conclusion. And somehow this thing that your boss honestly meant as a statement of belief in you and your value, give it a couple hours of worry and you have found yourself walking into the office on Monday morning feeling like you are just walking towards an appointment with the professional guillotine, right? There's a difference between that initial sensation of anxiety and the experience of worry, right? Worry is an unhelpful response to the inevitable anxieties of life, right? And I want you to be thinking about that because Jesus has 
some very strong language about this thing that in the Greek would be merimanao, but in the translation of Scripture that we're using is, I think, very helpfully translated worry. Right? If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says one of two things in your Bible. It definitely should start with, therefore I tell you, whatever translation you have, we're probably still on the same page, don't, and then your translation is either going to say worry or don't be anxious about your life, right? And I think the far better translation, the far more accurate, the far more helpful translation is giving in space for this idea that worry and anxiety are different phenomenon to realize that Jesus is speaking about this phenomenon of worry, right? And sometimes we tend to read that and say, hey, just so you know, Matthew 6, 25, whatever Jesus is saying here, it is a command, and that is true. He's using the imperative form of the verb. He's not just offering a gentle suggestion that might help upgrade your experience of life. He is trying to talk to those of us who have decided to follow him and say, hey, this is important and I want you to do this. And the question is, is he saying in that moment, here's the deal, you better not be anxious which is how a lot of us think about it. And then we feel like we're such a letdown in the moment where we do feel anxious about giving a presentation. Or we do feel anxious about having a difficult conversation. Or we do feel anxious in response to something that's happening in our lives. And we feel like in that moment we're being a bad Christian. But that's not true. Because I would say Jesus experienced something that was either anxiety or like its first cousin in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he goes to the cross. Right? I mean, if that's not anxiety, I, I don't know what is. Where he's begging the Father, if there's another way for me to redeem the world other than being tortured on the wood of the cross, could we do that? Right? He's so agitated that he's sweating blood. He's experiencing anxiety. And the question is, in that moment, is Jesus revealing his hypocrisy? Does Jesus need to just go back and rewind the Sermon on the Mount and be like, hey, bro, don't be anxious. God uses all things for good. You're going to be fine. There's a resurrection coming. Or is it possible that what Jesus is trying to say is, yeah, yeah, you're going to experience anxiety. Right? That's part of being a fallen creature in a fallen world. You will experience that. But you do not have to let anxiety turn the corner to worry. Because if we allow that to happen, we are, in Jesus' words, wasting our time. Matthew 6, 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Right? It's the futility of laying awake at night and rehearsing all of the ways that the presentation could be a disaster. It's the futility of laying awake at night and rehearsing all of the ways that it's going to be one more week where you don't get everything done at work and you feel like a failure and a disappointment in your personal relationships. And Jesus kind of says, hey, we all know that isn't accomplishing anything. That's not helping. That's not what we were designed for as humans, and it's certainly not what we were designed for as followers of Jesus. 
right? Anxiety is inevitable to some extent. Jesus is telling us, though, that we have an option, that we do not have to allow the inevitable anxieties of life to turn into the worry that is so debilitating and so crippling. And I think most of us, whether we're Christians or not, agree with Jesus' teaching that worry is worthless. We, we don't struggle with that. Right? There's none of us that think we're getting ahead by laying awake all night and worrying. The problem is we don't exactly know how to prevent it. So what we want to do for the rest of our time is, if you will, kind of put together a game plan of how we respond in those moments of life where we feel the storm of anxiety kind of gathering in our bodies, where we know that we are facing one of those, tempta- one of those situations that would tempt us to anxiety. And, and what do we do so that it doesn't turn the corner and become worried? Right? Because most of us don't actually have a game plan for that, or the game plan that we have doesn't seem like it's working. All right, so just for a minute, I want you to put yourself into a space, kind of mentally, where you are kind of sensing what it's like in your body when you start to feel anxious. Right? Maybe for you, your shoulders get a little tighter. Your breathing becomes a little more shallow. You just know your heart's beating faster. You don't know why. You start to feel warm. There's a knot in your stomach. You're just agitated. Like, kind of think about the past week when you felt that moment starting to pop up. You can look at it in retrospect and be like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was in the conference room at work on Tuesday afternoon. I, I, I know that moment, right? And I want to talk about what do you do in that moment? Because left unchecked, it's going to turn into worry. So first thing you do in that moment is use your body to interrupt sort of the gathering storm of worry, if we can say it that way. And there is an order to hear to what I'm saying, and I want to be a little provocative, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and say, hey, do I believe that prayer is going to be an essential component of the conversation? Absolutely. But I think there are many times where we try to pray as followers of Jesus, but we end up doing it in a way that is almost counterproductive. We end up doing it in a way that almost feels like all we're doing is just worrying in the presence of God, that we somehow leave a time of prayer feeling worse than we did on the way in. And obviously the issue is not that Jesus is somehow letting us down, but the issue is that we're not approaching prayer correctly. So I believe, and there are so much um, research on this, and so many people uh, that know far more about the topic than I do, that say actually the first thing you want to do in that moment is use your body to somehow break up the gathering storm of worry, right? This is why people will tell you that there is tremendous benefit in going for a walk, going for a run, going to the gym, getting out of bed, taking a hot shower, taking a cold shower, right? There's tremendous benefit in forcing yourself to breathe deeply. And you can go to the internet and see all kinds of different breathing techniques that are supposed to help us deal with anxiety. The basic gist of all of them is breathe in deeply, hold it, breathe out, and hold it, right? You do that for four counts or something like that. That is tremendously helpful. Now, in the church, we tend to get nervous about that, right? We tend to feel like, whoa, that feels a little like new agey. Like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. 
stay in your lane, buddy. You're the Bible boy. If I want breathing techniques, that's why God made Oprah or whatever. Like, I can go there. I know those Instagram accounts, right? I can go for a soothing walk on a cool fall morning, but like, I'm a Christian. I don't settle for all that nonsense. You should, because it's not nonsense. It's going to be tremendously helpful. In fact, what we realize, if we get a little more perspective on it, is that almost all of us instinctively use our bodies to deal with the anxiety that we feel. We just do it in ways that are spectacularly unhelpful. Right? It's the part in us that says, ooh, I do feel anxious. This is why God made ice cream. Right? Ooh, I don't feel so good. Where's the queso? Like, I, this is how, or some of you, you're like, oh, no, it's not queso, it's Cabernet. That's how we deal with it. Or where's my phone? Where's my Netflix? Time to go shopping. Time to text the old boyfriend that I know will be happy to come over and spend some time hanging out with me after midnight on a Friday night. We have all of these different things that we do. The problem is what we are trying to do is we use our bodies to numb what's happening in our hearts. We, we are trying to use our bodies to numb this sensation of anxiety, and it never works. And it's part of the reason but that when we get around to actually praying, it doesn't seem like we get much traction. Right? What I'm trying to give you spiritual permission to do is to do something that would use your body to not numb, but rather surface the underlying issue in your heart. Where you're buying yourself some space to figure out what's actually going on here. Why do I feel so tense? Is this anxiety or am I just, a lot of times for me, when I get this moment, I realize that what's underneath my anxiety is just fear. Like I, I know I need to send an email that's gonna set up a difficult conversation or I know I need to cancel a meeting or I need to say like, hey, great idea, but we don't have money for that in the budget or something and I just know it's not gonna be well received and I'm just feeling like afraid of letting somebody down in the moment. You get a little perspective and you're like, yeah, but you need to send the email, you need to have the conversation, so just make it happen and move through the whole thing. Or sometimes you realize like, no, there's something deeper going on in my soul here, but at least you've surfaced it. At least you now know what we're talking about. And then here's the key. Once you've kind of used your body to sort of interrupt this storm a little bit, just you're, you're, you're breathing. You're not letting yourself get too worked up. Now it's time to engage your heart, right? And, and the reason that we do that is remember, anxiety is something we feel in our body. Worry is something we feel in our mind. And the Bible is exceptionally clear that as humans, to, our bodies and minds are linked, but the road from our body to our mind runs through our heart, right? So if you're gonna try to keep anxiety from taking control of your thought life, from becoming worry, you're actually gonna interrupt it in your heart. And I want you to see two kind of classic passages about worry and anxiety and see the role that the heart plays in both of them. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, all right, classic one, don't worry about anything. Again, it is a command, and again, I think the translators of the CSB get it right by saying don't worry. Not don't be anxious, but don't 
worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Right? Talk to God about what's going on in life. We're going to come back to that idea in a minute, but that's the basic sense of what that first sentence means. But then notice the promise that comes in the second sentence. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But Paul here in this classic passage is envisioning an encounter with God that actually changes the reality of our hearts. Right? An encounter with God that actually changes the reality in our minds. And I am deeply convinced that one of the reasons that the American church is drowning in anxiety is that we have an enormously transactional understanding of prayer. Right? We don't know how to linger with God in such a way that our experience of prayer has actually changed the reality of our heart. Right? We tend to think about prayer as either the kind of thing that we do so that we can somehow earn God's favor. It's kind of like, you know, putting in the work and repeating the Lord's prayer and kind of putting in the prayer time so that God is now somehow obligated to cause peace to descend into our heart. Right? So it's either this very religiously informed, legalistic understanding of prayer, or it is this very culturally informed understanding of prayer that expects instantaneous results, right? We live in a world that wants to offer three tips to revolutionize your productivity this afternoon, right? We live in a world that wants to tell you that there really is one magic exercise, that if you would just do it for 10 minutes a day, three days a week, you too would have six-pack abs in a month. And we all laugh, right? Because we're like, that is such a lie. And then it shows up on our Facebook feed and we're like, but maybe this one will work. Because we want the instant results. We want the like three ways to revolutionize your marriage this weekend. And we think prayer should work the same way where it's like, uh-oh, I have a presentation. Dear Lord God, you know about the presentation. Please help me. Give me peace and give me a PowerPoint deck. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're like, I have none, neither. Like, I have no peace, and he didn't seem to write the presentation for me. What's wrong? Oh, wait, prayer doesn't work. Jesus is a fraud. The whole thing's a lie. But the problem is that we tend to think about prayer the same way that we think about ordering food online from our favorite fast casual restaurant where you pull up the website you click every individual preference and thought that you have and hold the onions but I want extra hummus and you get it crafted exactly the way you want and you hit order and they tell you don't worry it'll be ready in seven minutes and we're like, well, hey, if the Mediterranean place down the curb can do that, why can't you, God? What's wrong with you? Why are you so slow? Why, why, why? And the answer is, God can shift the reality of your heart in a second when he needs to. 
Right? When you're in a moment in life where your back is up against the wall and you have 30 seconds to pray, Jesus can show up and he can change your life in 30 seconds. But the problem is we want that to be the default approach. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're going to have to learn a totally different way of praying. 1 Peter chapter 5 has a little bit of insight for us. 1 Peter chapter 5 invites us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. But again, we tend to think about casting cares on God as the spiritual equivalent of sending him a message on Slack or assigning him a task on Asana or whatever you use at work and being like, hey God, get on that. Okay, good, in Jesus' name, amen. And he's like, no. If you want me to lead you out of anxiety, if you want me to show you a way not to waste hours of your week in worry, you're going to have to learn how to linger in my presence. The problem is that can be really tricky to teach people because you got to kind of figure it out on your own. You got to kind of figure out what it looks like for you to get alone with God, to get into a quiet place, where you're not going to be disturbed, where you can put your phone on airplane mode, and you can actually be with Jesus. Not just cruise your way through a prayer list, not just say some words, not just check some boxes, but actually linger with Jesus. I'll tell you how I try to do it if it's any help for you, take it, but take it and play with it and make it your own. But what I'll try to do is get to a place where I'm going to be quiet and undisturbed, which when you have three energetic kids, that takes some work all by itself. Just trying to figure out where that space is. If you go for a walk, hide in the shower, no shame in that, whatever you need to do. And what I'll try to do is imagine that I am actually in that room with Jesus. And I will try to picture him as an idealized version of my best friend. Knows me, cares about me, it's kind of funny, comfortable with my quirks, but like so gracious. And the reason I'm trying to picture him as an idealized version of my best friend is I want to talk to him the same way that I would talk to my best friend. Right? I'm trying to guard myself from being overly spiritual, if I, can, if I can say it that way and still keep my job as a pastor. Because right? what I'm trying to do in the moment is not be like, oh, great God who reigns in majesty and glory and power, hallowed be thy name. That's not how I talk to my best friend. Right? If I were to sit down with my best friend in that moment, I might say something like, hey man, today really sucked. And I'm not like, ooh, can you say that in church? My goal is not to be like, ooh, relevant church, the pastor said sucked. Whatever. That's just how I would talk to my friend though. And I'd be like, yeah, it's just a crummy morning. 
I don't know what happened. Like, Laura was being awesome, and I was being a jerk, like, the whole time. And I, the whole, I knew I was being a jerk, and I couldn't stop being a jerk. And blah, 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 and I carried that into work with me today. And I feel like I was annoying to everybody that I worked with, and I, I met with some people from the church. I wasted their time because I just wasn't in the right, blah, blah. Like, I would just, nah, go for it, right? Just have at it. Right? Sometimes you got to give yourself permission to be a little raw with God and a little like, no, it was like not a good day. And then sit there and say, hey, if you were sitting down though with Jesus, what do you think he would say back to you? Right? This is where prayer becomes a conversation. And this is where you figure out what you believe about God, by the way. Because if you just lay that out, when you think about what, what, what in your head, what do you think God would say? Because some of us, even though we know the theology of the Bible, we believe that God's response to us would be, wow, you are a colossal screw-up of a pastor. Wow, yeah, you are a disappointment to your family. You're a disappointment to me. I didn't die for this kind of nonsense, John. You know the Bible, fix yourself. Get it together, man. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Right? If that's how you think God would respond to you, no wonder you don't run to prayer. I, I already feel bad. I don't need to go spend time with God so that Jesus can slap me around a little bit with Scripture. Or are you willing to believe that Jesus might sit across that conversation with you and say, yeah, it was a really tough day. And I'm so sorry, but I just want you to know I love you. And I'm so glad that you're here. And yeah, you're going to have to go apologize to Laura. Maybe you need to send an email. But man, I'm not embarrassed of you. Like, I love you. Like, you do know I died for you, right? And I didn't do it out of spite. I didn't do it just to stick it to Satan. I did it because I love you and you matter to me. And then here's the real question. Here's the real question. Do one more thing. Turn the corner with me. If Jesus were to say those things to you, what would you say back to him? Would you just say thank you? Or would you try to argue him out of the conclusion that he loves you and he's for you? What Paul says in Philippians 4 is present your request to God with thanksgiving. Sometimes we treat that as like the entry requirement where we're like, okay, before I get God, you know, get to all the stuff I really want to talk about, thank you for fall, thank you for leaves, thank you for coffee, thank you for the Bible. Has this been enough thank you so we can finally get to what I want to talk about? But that's not what Paul's envisioning. Paul's like, look, if you sit with Jesus long enough, your heart's going to be stirred to gratitude because he knows what you're going through and he loves you in the midst of the whole thing. And I'm telling you, if you can kind of interrupt the storm with your body, engage your heart in that kind of encounter with God through prayer, if you can get to that moment, not some quick drive-by prayer, but that moment, worry is going to start to melt off of your life. And then you leave that moment with a renewed determination to focus your mind 
Number one, to focus your mind on the promises of God, right? This is where you tag in scripture. This is where you remind yourself that it says in the word of God that nothing is impossible with God. This is where you remind yourself that Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That applies to the conference room at your office as well. This is where Jesus said, I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. This is where Jesus said, yeah, but when you're weak, I'll be strong on your behalf. And part of what you want to do is come out of your time with God with something to focus your mind on. Say, man, my thought for the rest of today is going to be, if I'm weak, Jesus is going to be strong. In my weakness, Jesus is strong. And maybe you're going to simplify that and you're just going to walk through Thursday with the refrain in your mind being, Jesus is strong. Jesus is able. Jesus is strong. Jesus is able. And you're going to carry that around. And because you're carrying that around, you're going to be able to do the enormously practical thing that Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 6, 34, where he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't spin your wheels worrying about how you're going to pay for college for all the kids. Don't worry about where you're going on vacation in the summer of 2025. Don't worry about that. Tomorrow will worry about itself. There's going to be things for you to deal with tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own, which if you read it quickly, sounds a little discouraging where Jesus is like, don't even worry about tomorrow. Today is going to be bad enough that I would just focus here. What, right? You ever feel that way where you're like, oh, huh, at least you're honest. Like, thanks, thanks, Jesus. Like, that helps. We've built some credibility. We've built some trust, but I'm totally discouraged. He's like, no, you're, you got stuff to do today come back next week, we're going to talk more about what that stuff is. It's Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the life that Jesus is trying to build for us that will pull us further and further away from anxiety and worry. But Jesus is like, no, you got stuff to do today. Why don't you focus on that? Right? Instead of laying awake all night thinking about the presentation being a disaster, why don't you clear your schedule, send an bo- email back to your boss that says, hey, I'm going to need some help from somebody on the team to pull together some data I'm going to need somebody to cover this meeting for me, and I'd love it if you could look over my slide deck on Tuesday night. That seems productive. That seems like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not just spinning my wheels. I'm actually focusing on what I can do today. Right? This is one of the things, if you're new to church, that you've got to fall, fall in love with about the Bible. Jesus will be so practical. And then he will talk to you about the value and the dignity of your soul and your identity as an image bearer of God in the world. Whichever speed you need him to play at this week, he's there. You need him to talk to you about focusing on the challenge of today, he's there. You need him to remind you that all things are possible because he defeated death. He's there. All of this, everything we're talking about today, is designed to be really practical. It's trying to be really, really helpful. But it is sitting on the foundation of incredibly deep theological mystery. Because it's resting on the foundation that there is a living God who cares about you. And there is a living God who is able to shift the reality of your heart. And I understand if that seems like a lot to buy into on a Sunday morning. All I would do is point you to the cross where Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world as the demonstration that God really does love you. There's the proof. 
There's the demonstration. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. There's your value. There's your worth. And in the moment you became a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, came to live in your soul. So he really does have the ability to change your heart, to do it from the inside out. Not just to talk to you about peace from the outside, but to create peace from the inside. To bring all the fruit of the Spirit to life in us. If you say, no, God couldn't do that for me. God couldn't replace the chaos in my heart with the peace of Jesus. All I would say to you is that when you're weak, he's strong. And he's able to do it. And you owe it to yourself to take him up on the offer. and See what he wants to do inside of you this week. So Father in heaven, I want to come to you right now believing the two things that we just said. That you love every person in this room. Even if we're brand new in church, even if we have had a train wreck of a week, even if we've messed up more in the past month than we ever thought was possible, you love us. And you are able you are able to transform the experience of our heart. And God, you know what that needs to look like for every single person in this room. You know what our hearts need in this moment. And God, I just want to ask very simply that you would give us what our hearts need in this moment. That you would meet us We want to encounter you, God. We need you to make the first move. We need you to be merciful. But would you help us taste and see you are good. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.